the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. This morning's message, I trust, will impact all of you, whether you're a new Christian or an older Christian, because I think sometimes as the older we get in the Lord, as we grow up in the Lord, we tend to know how to speak the Christianese, and we learn how to go through those motions, and if we continue speaking Christianese and going through the motions, sooner or later we're going to hit the wall, and we'll end up with what is known as burnout. And it can happen to anybody at any time. I read a story a while back about a man who is... uh, really didn't get out of bed in the morning when his alarm clock rang. His wife was already up making the coffee, and so she went in to see if he he was up yet, and Bill wasn't up yet, so she said, you know, you got to get up, Bill. He says, I don't want to get out of bed. You got to get out of bed, Bill. I don't want to get out of bed. You got to get up, and you got to go to work. The people don't like me where I work. You got to go to work. They don't pay me very well at work. You got to go to work. They don't say hi to me. They don't greet me. They don't do what I ask them to do at work. I don't want to go to work. And so she finally said, Bill, you've got to get up. It's Sunday and you've got to preach. Now, I know that's a little light and I have to tell you that I don't face Sunday mornings like that. I don't face really many days like that. I enjoy getting up and I enjoy what I'm doing. But there are times when you really do get emotionally drained. And if we don't deal with that properly, it can really become a catastrophe. And I got thinking over the last couple of weeks here at our church that we've had a lot that's happened. And those of you that are listening on the radio or maybe uh, uh, downloading this off our internet site, you might not know what we've been doing, but our people have been extremely busy. We've been doing a major work in our kitchen. We've had people come in from out of town, 22 people that were shuttling around the island, taking them places, helping them to do what they needed to do, preparing for our very first No Fright Kids Night doing some great stuff going on. But you know, when you do that, at the same time, you're trying to maintain your job, your school, your kids, other extended family, and then really overload at church. It's not too um, unrealistic to think that for some Christians, they begin to place aside some of the things that they think they can get by on, which would be, well, I'll read my Bible a little bit later. I'll spend a little bit more time in prayer once this is all over. But I'm finding the longer I live on this island and the more I serve here at this church, there are so many good things that they often eat up the times that keep me away from really doing the great things. And the longer I get into that mode, the sooner I'm going to hit the wall and begin to experience what we might call a 90s term, which is burnout. And we begin to quit. But you also look, not only people here in our church, but think about the people on the island. The incredible amount of problems going on in our education system financially, the people that are working for the state government, the federal government, all that we've got going on. I know that they are working harder and harder and harder and trying to keep up, and yet at the same time, it's really taking a toll on them emotionally, certainly physically, and always spiritually. 
Even for those who don't know Christ as Savior, they don't have time to look at God. In fact, worse, Satan gets them to blame God for all of that, to use that as an excuse not to seek God. And for Christians, sometimes they blame God too or just say, I just don't care, and they walk away from it. And I don't want you to be like that. I have here in the pulpit a light bulb. Now, this little light bulb here is a great light bulb, especially when it's dark. And when I plug it in and I turn it on and the light comes on. But a burned out light bulb really does very little value. And so we want to make sure that even though Christ, the light of Christ and the light of the glorious gospel shines within us, that we are not covering it up with so much activity that we really cease to really get to know the Lord. So this morning's message really is going to be extremely biblical and at the same time very practical. But I want to make sure that you know where we're headed with this message. It's not a bunch of points and subpoints. It's really learning these things so we can get to the goal of having intimacy with God, even though what is flung at our calendar would be tremendous amount of responsibilities and needs. So we really put things into proportion. Back in 1985, it was February 2nd. It happened to be through the Daytona 500 race. The race just got started. A quarter of a million dollar car driven by Donnie Allison took off. It only got three laps. No, it didn't crash. What happened? It sputtered and it pulled over into the infield. And with all the amount of time they took preparing the driver, preparing the car, preparing the strategy, they literally forgot to prepare it by putting fuel in the car and it ran out of gas. Well, we chuckle at that. It sure cost a tremendous amount of consequence to them. But I have to tell you that sometimes we can do a lot of preparation in our world, but if we're not careful, we too can run out of fuel if we don't fuel ourselves up. And so today what I'd like to speak on is really when we feel like quitting, what does the Bible have to say? Because I think if reality is the case, and I could have honesty from you, and I asked how many of you felt like quitting, anything for that matter, we'd all raise our hand at one time or another. But it takes those that are willing to understand and identify, I have that feeling. But I don't want to let that feeling control me. I want to let God control me. And how do I move forward with it? Well, I think it'll help you if you, first of all, realize that there are some literal red flags that will fly. And God allows those as little promptings to us to let us know if we're beginning to run on empty. And I'd like to suggest some of those flags to you. And I'm going to do it by way of stages. Stages mean you're going to first experience this, and then this, then this, and then that. There'll be four stages. And I'd like you to be, for just a moment during this morning, to allow the Holy Spirit to take this message and to really sense, how are you? Are you running on fumes? Are you as intimate and as hot for God as you could be? And it's not for you to feel guilty. It's for you to say, you know what? My gauge is low. I need to pull in and get a refuel. And I think if we do that, we will be a greater church than we ever were before so we don't begin to take credit for any good things that have happened and we continually stay on our knees as a very dependent but yet very joyful faith family. So let's look at stage number one when we start facing these uh, feelings perhaps of wanting to quit, whether it's a marriage, a job, a career, school, or a project, or a church. The first one is this. We become what is known as disillusioned. I like to refer to that as we begin to really lose vision or lose focus or lose perspective. That means we really dread the future. We don't like to get up in the morning. We don't like to go and do things. And all of a sudden things begin to happen. Maybe I could paint this picture for you. It usually occurs when we have in our mind a particular perception. We might call it an expectation in our mind of what we think things should be. But when that perception faces and hits reality and it's miles apart, all of a sudden disillusion comes in. 
There are a lot of people that go into marriage and they think that it must be a really wonderful thing. And so when they finally figure out that their first year is their most difficult, some of them begin to scratch their head and wonder if that's true. Let me ask you this question, see if you could be honest with this. How many of you could say probably the most difficult year of your marriage was the very first year? Would you raise your hand? If the... How about your second year? How about your third year? No, 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 no. But the point still is this. We have this expectation and it begins to be dashed in our hearts and all of a sudden we feel like we want to quit. You know, being in Christian leadership and ministry for a long time, often when we are teaching the guys and the gals that are going into ministry, sometimes they think as soon as they become on church staff, everything is going to go great. Wouldn't it be great just to be paid full time to work in ministry? only to find that it's not like Disneyland. In fact, it's probably the central place where Satan wants to work to confuse and to discourage those that are working. And it takes mature Christians to step up and to realize that this is a place where God wants us to serve and there still is joy in it. So wherever you are, you need to be careful not to have unrealistic expectations so that when reality hits it, you become disillusioned and you begin to think, I want to quit this marriage, this job, this relationship, this church, or this project. We need to be careful of that. Here's stage number two. That is, we become discouraged. After we're disillusioned and we start scratching our head, now discouragement sets in. And we call that, we begin to lose heart. We lose heart. There's a significant decrease in motivation. Now, there's always going to be the ebb and flows. You know, some days we're real excited about doing the project, other days not so much. But I'm talking about one of those where that leak is almost out, where you can't even get yourself moving again. So your motivation is pretty low. It, it really kind of dwindles in trying to complete the task, and you don't really want to get it done. The Bible would call it, you are disheartened. Some of you have heard Carol speak about her sister named Susan. Her sister lived to be 33 and then succumbed to cancer. It was a very tough time. We really loved Susan as a family, and Susan really loved us. Shortly before she died, she called Carol to her bedside, and as they were talking over knowing that this was going to be probably the end within this year, Susan mentioned to Carol that she wanted to give Carol some of her significant things that would fit Carol and be Carol and kind of had Carol's name on it, and you know how, what I mean if you've gone through that. Well, Carol was very grateful for that, but she never went over to pick that up. And people would often say, why don't you get this? And why don't you pick that up? And Carol said, many times I really wanted to do that, but I just didn't have the heart to do that. There was a significant thing that hit. It wasn't she was going through burnout. It was just a disheartenment during a situation. She had the skill to go get it. Sure, she had the right to go get it. She was the sister and it was given to her, but she didn't have the heart to do that. And maybe some of you have reached to a point of disillusionment and that disillusionment didn't really come back into focus you couldn't refocus that the way you wanted to and now you're suffering with perhaps a degree of discouragement you're not much different than some of the children of Israel if you recall they got into the promised land and they thought how great this was and then they really enjoyed their most magnanimous victory over Jericho and they were celebrating that and yet there was one man a little bit with his family who disobeyed God and took a, a luxury item and some gold and hid it in his tent and then they went marching towards another city to conquer that city and when they got there they lost horribly so much so that the men just fell down and they were weakened even Joshua laid prostrate on the ground crying unto God they were disheartened in fact scripture says this the hearts of the people melted it became as water now I don't know everyone here and I don't know all that you're going through but I also know people in human nature enough that some of you might be at a point right now that you are shutting down. 
You feel like your heart is broken. You feel like you're like water right now. You looked and you tried to resolve whatever block that's in your way and it's not working and you don't know. Should I stay on island? Should I not stay on island? Should I stay in this marriage or shouldn't I stay in this marriage? Should I stay in this relationship or not? I hate my job, but I can't get out of my job to get another one because there's not enough work around here. I don't know what I should do about a faith family. And you're really struggling with this. Nobody loves you nor understands you more than the Lord. And this message has been designed by God for you to know that it starts with disillusionment. So maybe we need to begin to bring it back into focus. The other could be that your heart is broken and you, you feel like you just want to quit. Often we quit with our actions after we've already quit in our heart. So look what Proverbs has to say. It says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So maybe what we need to do is look into your heart, look into your mind. Thinking and heart is mind and heart matching each other and making sure that you're allowing the fullness of God to take over and to control you. Don't quit too soon. Don't give up. I read another story about a woman who went to this beautiful concert hall to experience this beautiful concert. And of course she got all dolled up to go and she put on her favorite diamond pendant. And when she headed out into the, to the concert hall, she enjoyed it. When she got home and as she was beginning to change into some casual clothes, she noticed that her diamond pendant was gone. So immediately she called the concert hall and there was someone that was kind enough to say, Ma'am, I'll go look. Where were you seated? She gave the seat number, the road number, where it was, where she went during the time she was there all over the facility. And so he says, if you'll just look, wait a moment, I'll go look for it. He looked for it, but he was gone about five or ten minutes. He did find it, by the way, that diamond pendant. Came back to the telephone when he picked Picked it up, she had hung up, left no name, no phone number, and she never got her diamond pendant back again. Here is a woman who is probably thinking about the, the nostalgia and maybe how much that diamond pendant meant to her. But then she gave up because she was disheartened thinking, that guy was just playing me. He said he'd go look and he left me hanging here. And then with that ugly feeling, maybe the emotions of that loss, she walked away too soon. And let me encourage you, maybe right now you've been disillusioned and you're a little discouraged. Really think carefully. Don't make your decision by the flesh and being down. When we were in Bible college, we learned a tremendous lesson that we need to apply every day. Don't, God, don't doubt God in darkness what he's given you in the light. And let me encourage you with that. Well, now it moves from the discouragement stage to what we might call the discontented stage. This is now where all joy is lost. You've lost your joy. You become restless and complaining. Now, again, that can happen to anyone. I don't want you to think that that demon bug will not bite you. It can bite anyone. We become disillusioned. We become discouraged. And now we're to the point of total discontentment. And you know what discontentment is. It's the opposite of being fully at peace and stable and content. A rest that we lose. We don't have that. So the joy is gone. And please, listen very carefully. Discontentment and joy never reside together in the same heart, mind, and spirit. So if you think that you have joy when you're still marshalling discontentment, it's possible that you are manufacturing some self-proclaimed joy, but not the true fullness of joy. Because joy comes knowing that God is in control of everything we can control. And whatever He does is right, good, and it's out of an unconditional love for me. Once we have that, then our contentment ceases because we are now fully content in the Lord. And thus, joy and contentment can reside together. A great verse is found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And I think that's a very important verse that we might want to keep in our mind. So it begins with unsettledness and restlessness, and then we become irritated. 
And when we become irritated with things, if you're anything like me, we try to move away from that irritation. How many of you perhaps had maybe a, an ingrown toenail or something and it hurts so much so you wear your shoes but you can't wait to get your shoes off to put your slippers on because the slippers in, there's no that irritation. You've moved your foot away from what's irritating it. You've got the time when you've got a splinter in your finger and you want to remove that splinter or at least you want to not knock it. I don't know why it is whenever I get a splinter, I always hit my finger where the splinter is. And it's not the case. We hit it all the time but we don't know it till the splinter's there and that's what shows it to us. And so we want to move away from it. Well, some of you, you, you had a disillusionment about marriage or your job or relationship or some other thing you're going through and you became discouraged. Now you're so discontent and you can't handle that any longer. So now you begin, normal, you begin to say, how can I remove myself from the circumstances that's causing me to have all of these negative, down, anti-type God feelings? And so some people think, well, the best way to do it is get out of the marriage, get out of the relationship, leave home. It could mean quit the church, quit my job, move away. And yes, I will tell you that for a moment it will make you feel better. For that moment you're going to have that sense of relief that it's not there. But I will tell you, if that problem is not fully resolved in our spirit before the Lord, very quickly, it's like a weed we've cut the top off, it'll come back again with a lot more fruit because you're merely taking that weed, that problem with you wherever you go. It hasn't been nipped in the bud. So we have to deal with that sense of discontentment. And I'd like to suggest what that discontentment eventually will cause us. Look at three of them here. I just would like to give this to you. First of all, discontentment really disrespects God's will. That's a very important thought because sometimes what you're going through right now with all the struggles and challenges is God's will. Perhaps for some of you, you have overloaded your calendar, you've overloaded your life, and you're now suffering some of the pain for that. And it is God's will for you to be able to feel that maybe you are in the heat right now. And God says, here's what you need to do biblically to turn the heat down. And by doing that, you'll be partnering with the Lord and developing some intimacy with Him. So we still look back at this again and it could be bringing us out of God's will and we don't want to do that. Now sometimes when we quit the first time it's easier then to quit the second time. We quit the team the first time. Well, that was pretty bad but we made it through it so now we have more problems. We quit another team and then another team. We quit one marriage. We quit the second marriage. Do you know what statistics will tell you? That the first marriages are divorcing at approximately 50%. 50-50 marriages end in divorce. Do you know that that statistic escalates in the second marriage with divorces, which there are far more divorces than that? Now let me just kind of reframe this for you. There are times that you do need to quit. It's not everything we join that we're going to be a part of it. You could look at the Apostle Paul. He starts one church, leaves that church, goes to another church, starts that one. He, quote, quits that church, goes on to the next one. I want you to know he could be looked on as a quitter, but he wasn't. Every church he went to, he was fulfilling God's calling in his life, and he stayed with him in some love-touch way. But there could be some things. Some of you are in a relationship that is unbiblical, matching yourself with an unsaved person, thinking that your salvation might be able to help them get saved. We're not talking to marriage now. We're just talking about a relationship. Some of that does need to be quit. Some of you are in a very abusive situation right now, physically and verbally. You might need to step aside for a moment for some counseling and some help and to see what can be done to ease that situation. You're not quitting it. What you are doing is stepping up to looking for a solution to make it work for you. 
But some of us do need to know that we do need to stay with it. And once we do the first time, we quit the second time, we quit the third time, then you know what we have? We have a mentality of giving up. And that's what happens. We give in first, and then we give up. And we don't want to do that. We who are in the ministry, and I don't know of anybody in our church here, and I really mean that, but sometimes when we have people come to church and they want to join our church, we like to find out a little bit about their church history. And of course here in Hawaii it's not too difficult. They generally come to this church and they come from another island or their church, whatever, they're here. We welcome them. Make sure that they resolve past conflicts. But occasionally we got one person that goes to one church for one or two years and he doesn't like that. They go to another church one or two years. They don't like that pastor. They go to another church and like that person. They don't like this. And pretty soon we find out that they're doing the new dance the church hop and they go from one church to the next church and so I'm just wondering sure we welcome into our fellowship but I've been around the barn a little bit now the likelihood of them staying here probably won't be easy as well that they probably won't stay long so we want to be careful of that and make sure is this really going to be what God wants us to do so is it in God's will bottom line is this before we're ready to disengage from something make sure that we have really sensed the heart of God and to do that our heart needs to be free of any sin or guilt or anything that would be inappropriate for the Holy Spirit to be able to speak through us so let's make it sure that it's clean before him number two discontentment disregards the consequences this is very important for moms and dads that are helping their kids learn to buck up and stay with something and that would be that sometimes when you do quit there are tremendous consequences that happen afterwards. I think some of you might realize that there may be that. And maybe I could speak to this. There are some people that just don't like their boss, they don't like their employees, they don't like the system, so they quit before they ever get another job. And now they're out in life struggling tremendously. Now they're very much hurting to know what am I going to do with the job, the embarrassment with it, the question with it, the fear of how they're going to pay bills, what it's going to cost their family to come back into the family again. These things do happen. Now again, I can't speak to every illustration and there are times that you do have to quit. But do remember that every time we quit, are we stepping away from God's will? And secondly, have we really fully grasped what could be the long-term consequences? Focus on the Family a number of years ago did a study on families that were married, that had children of course, and moms and dads split up. I'm not talking about the physical abusive, the sexually abusive stuff. I'm just talking about dad didn't like mama any longer. He liked his, his uh, sexy secretary or something. Or mama didn't like the responsibilities, so she left dad and the kids and did her own thing. Is it okay for that? Well, it's better for us to separate than to stay together because we want to show our kids we'll be happier apart than we are together. Statistics said that the overwhelming majority of kids that remained in a home where mom and dad struggled but stayed together, they were healthier emotionally and socially than they were when mom and dad split up. So what do we do? Well, that's where you might need some help. That's where you need to go to a mature, solid Christian person of the same sex who knows God's word and will be able to sit down with you and to help you go through that. And not just say, buck up, bite the bullet. And then the other people go back to their happy home life. You need someone who will wrap their verbal arms around you and give you that encouragement and help the two of you. And I believe there are people in this church that will. There are consequences. And then number three, discontentment also distorts life. What happens when you get so discontent because it is unbiblical, in fact it is disobedience, 
and knowing that you're discontent and refusing to deal with it properly to get over it, that now swims in the, in the sea with a shark full of rebellion. And when you have that going on, you really got a problem because now what happens is that you have a distorted view of life. A little story told about the pastor who knocked on the door and a little girl came up and she happened to have one of those little cellophane. Have you ever seen those see-through cellophanes that are colored? And she had the see-through cellophane and put the cellophane up to her eyes and was looking and said, Oh, look at that! The pastor, he's pink! Oh, look at that! The walls are all pink! Look at the sky is pink! The pastor's not pink. The walls aren't pink. The sky's not pink. What was pink, everyone? The cellophane. And what happens when we get so, in a sense, just discontent, we have such a, a false view of what life is all about. So all of a sudden it's he stinks, she stinks, they stinks, life stinks, and even God stinks. When the real problem is none of those. It's a distorted view in our mind. And so we've got to deal with that when we're facing, when we want to quit. What does the Bible have to say? Well, we've got one more stage, and that's when we become disassociated. This is where we become disassociated from the benefits now of staying with the program and doing what God wants us to do, to follow through with what he has for us. In fact, scripture says in Galatians 6, 9, which was our primary text, it says, and let us not be weary in well-doing. And it says, for in due season we shall reap. I love that. If we quit not, if we faint not, if we burn out not, and we shall reap if we faint not. There are people, and it's true, that they say, I don't want to go to work in the morning. There are people that say, I don't want to go home at night. There are people that say, I don't want to go to school. Others say, I don't want to go to church. When you have these kinds of attitudes within you, pretty soon it really begins to drag you down to the point where that God could have before you a tremendous amount of rewards. But because we've given up, we've missed out on those rewards. A very similar illustration is one I've shared here before. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.